Hey there, welcome to the Credit Heights Insider Podcast. My name is Sean Benemanov. I am your host. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Tonight on the podcast, we are featuring an interview with Benji Stock of Hevra Simchas Shavas Vyamtif. Rabbi Stock has spent years and years helping feed the needy in our community, helping provide for various other needs as well. In this interview, we go deep into that story, what CSSY does, what opportunities there are for the future, some of the challenges the organization has. And tonight is Tisha B'Av. Well, I'm recording this before Tisha B'Av, but when this episode is released, it will be Tisha B'Av. And we know that the cause of the destruction of the Beis Migdash was seen as Chinam, and the Rebbe told us over and over and over again that what will bring Mashiach and bring us the third Beis Migdash is, is Avas Yisrael, it's Avas Chinam. And I can't think of, of an organization and a person, frankly, that embodies that, embodies Avas Yisrael more than, more than Rabbi Stock and CSSY. So it's, it feels thematically appropriate to um, share this interview tonight, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. Thank you again to our listeners and subscribers and a reminder that you can find us on any podcast platform. And I encourage you to subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice, to like and to share and to tell your friends about it because, well, like I mentioned <laughs> over and over again, that is how this podcast will grow and that is how we'll be able to have the impact that we set out to make. Again, as well, if you have any questions or comments, you can send it to podcast at crownice.info and we will respond. And Mertashem, uh, if you have any questions that you'd like answered, we will try to get our guests to respond to those questions on the wrap-up episode of season one. So with all that out of the way, and without much further ado, I have Stock. Tonight, we are very glad to be able to welcome to the studio, to the Crownice Insider Studio, Rabbi Benji Stock. Rabbi Benji Stock is the director of CSSY or Hevra Simchas Shabbos Vyamtif, a community that helps, as the as the name implies, helps people in our community make Shabbos, make Yamtif, people who don't have what they need. They collect money and help them do that. So Rabbi Stock, thank you for coming in. Welcome. I just want to make one little correction. It started out as Hevra Simchas Shabbos Vyamtif. Now it's Hevra Simchas Shabbos Vyamtif and helping people with crises all the time, every day of the year. I didn't know that. That's amazing. So let's jump right in. What are some other crises that you help out with? Medical situations, God forbid a funeral situation when people don't have money, which is a very, very big expense in our community, much more than other communities, chassidisha communities for sure, and electric bill, someone is sick, someone needs help, therapy, God forbid someone needs to be sent away for rehab, all that kind of stuff. And that's a separate situation that we collect money for when that arrives, that situation. What uh, general area does, does does the organization serve? Is it just Crown Heights? Only Crown Heights. Unless certain emergencies, we help some shluchim, or if there's a real crisis, we'll help them too. How does the organization decide who to help, how much to help, what's the best way to help them? What is What's the approach? There's different kinds of people what need help. There are people what get help from us. They don't even know they get help from us. We could go into the stores where we find out where they buy, 
and we just pay the bills if they have big bills or we put on a credit. And that's one kind of person that they don't even know they're getting help. Or we could put money in people's doors, cash, have someone deliver it to them and tell them, for example, we had somebody, go. we went into 770, asked a bacha to deliver this to someone's house. They delivered cash. They told them someone outside without a bed, gave them to them if they could please drop it off here. Who is it? No idea. Some guy asked me to do him a favor, so I did it. And they don't have no idea. That's a different way. Then there are people who are call and ask. Basically, anybody who asks will receive. There is a process that you have to fill out an application. That's for my accountant insisted that if case anybody ever comes to ask what's going on in the organization from since it's a tax-deductible organization, why are you giving out people money? They never heard of such a thing in the Goyish world, someone giving out, someone calls for money, and you send them a $500 check. Or you send them vouchers for $150 a week. By the regular world, that's not heard of without doing paperwork and bringing your tax return. So my accountant did insist that we make an application. That's why we do have an application process. You have to understand a lot of the families I know in the community, I call on that application, that must be references, which I do call. And I also ask for a rabbi, so I know where they daven. So I find out, then I, it has also who recommended you. So I call them, even there are people that I see who recommended them, and I know that it's legit and I help them. But basically for Pesach, I think besides two people who send in their application, for some reason, Mamish Erev Pesach, Every single person, close to 470 people, received either cash grant, vouchers, or money paid in the store for them. Wow. So how many people would you say the organization helps a year? I could tell you between Pesach and, and Rosh Hashanah, that's a separate. That's went up this year from like four something, four ten to like 485. And the same thing, Rosh Hashanah. And then on a weekly basis, like 70, 80, 70 to 100 families every week get coupons in the mail. Wow. And what's the yearly budget of the organization? It depends also on different, just for the food part of it, I would say is close to $1,500,000 just for the food part of it. Then all the other crises, we actually collect money separate. If there's, God forbid, a funeral, I would email people, and they would send me in money for the funeral, and it would be covered without a problem. And the same thing is with therapy, and the same thing is with, God forbid, someone needs to be sent away for rehab. So you mentioned that there was a rise. It used to be 410, now it's 45. There, I assume there's ups and downs in the number of people who need help with economics and different things going on. What has been the general trend, say, over the last couple of years? The last couple of years, when when I was younger, when this started, in Tavshin Lamed Ches, I'm not sure the English year, the reason we started was because the Rebbe spoke about it on Rosh Hashanah, Tavshin Lamed Ches, and me and my father were driving home from the Fabring, and my father asked me what the Rebbe said, and actually was on Crown in Brooklyn, I told him, and that that Shabbos Shuvah was, 
I think, I don't remember which day of the week it was, we started with five, six food packages. Right away. Right away. That first Shabbos, and it kept on continuing then. It wow. kept on continuing. And th that's what we did. And now you're talking about much more, and you're talking about a budget close to $10,000 a week to when I remember when, when I was younger, it was six $700 a week. We also used to give out food. Like meaning you'd collect Boxes food of food and deliver it to houses. But in this community, it was a little harder because we were being people rice. We only eat brown rice. <laughs> and I was getting returns. The bathroom who would help me, my friends, would carry up an apartment building four flights of steps. And the lady would tell me, excuse me one minute, we don't use this chicken, we use that chicken. We don't use this kind of, we only use this kind of rice and that kind of stuff. So we stopped with that and we have, and more dignified, we give our coupons. And with those coupons, you could go to the store and buy what you want. And interesting enough, I'll tell you an interesting thing. I was once walking up Kingston Avenue and I saw a family that I helped for many years. And they stopped in the bakery with their two kids and they were buying breakfast in the bakery, and they were buying, then I we walked home again and afterwards, a couple hours later, and I saw them again in the bakery. So there's two ways how to look at it. You can look at it, what are they doing? They're spending money on, on outside food when they need money for food. I don't look at people that way. I look at people on the whole history. It's a very broken family. They don't have too much. And so the kids want to have a hot breakfast or, you know, a, a cheese croissant. I don't know all the things they make here in the bakery. <laughs> I don't eat there in the bakery. And I, I look at it, you know, maybe the kids deserve it. It's all how you look at things. Even poor people deserve a luxury every once in a while. Exactly. Like people said, when am the people going to take out, take home food? Maybe the mother is sick. Maybe she's in bed. So they, they're not buying everyday takeout food. Like people ask me, why don't you make... A thing that you, when you go to the stores, that they, it, a credit card, and of goes for certain own, and the stores will put on the, their items things that you let them have, milk, bread, rice, sugar, and if someone will take a bar of chocolate, maybe they need it. I remember also an interesting thing: the the market right here on Ralph Avenue, the food market. There was a, a place called Tabasco. They were very known for the best fruits and vegetables. And we used to have a lot of guests in the house growing up. And we, my father used to buy by them wholesale. And one of the fruit stores here, I don't want to get into mentioning names, is my personal, personal close friend. He says, for your family, I could understand why you're buying there. But why are you giving out food to the people from there? It's much more expensive. I said, whatever we eat, they eat. And I want you to know that I'm very big at that. Whatever, If it's good for me, it's good for them. If it's good for them, it's good for me. It's a very big thing in our organization. That's incredible. But speaking in terms of, of trends, would you say that there's more of a need than there's been before in our community? Definitely. First of all, people have bigger families, and also people are struggling. Things are very expensive. You're saying with inflation? And with inflation, with rent. And unfortunately, there's a lot of families would have side things. Tuition's expensive. A lot of kids go for therapy here in the community, and that became a big thing here. And most therapists don't take insurance. So if they're paying for therapy, they can't pay for food. 
So you could look at it, okay, so don't go for therapy, but you can't look at that too. So you end up, when those people tell you that, you're ending up helping them for therapy also, besides food. Well, I have a couple now, actually, that I'm helping. They called me for food, and I spoke to them about his job. Well, you know, I couldn't understand why he's not making ends meet. And he busted out crying, and he said, me and my wife have to go for therapy. And guess what? I can't say I'm sorry that I don't know about, and I'm busy taking care of him with therapy. So you're saying that when you start helping somebody with one thing, often you discover that they need help in a lot of other ways as well, ways that Barakashin are able to help, the organization is able to help. What are some of the, you know, issues? I mean, if you're if you're helping people, you're helping people who are having trouble making ends meet or having trouble feeding their families, and, and you're learning about their lives, what are some of the issues that are the that the poor of our community are facing that you don't think people know enough about? One of the biggest problems in this community is, in my opinion, one of a few, is that they're living in very small apartments with large families. And that's a very big crisis. And if someone already found an apartment, rent is so expensive everywhere. I'm not blaming anybody from here. Paying heat is expensive. Having tax, paying taxes in the house is expensive. It's not the landlord's fault in a lot of cases. But if they, they're making a, a living here, $70,000, $80,000, and they're paying three, dollars $4,000 a month rent, and they, those people can't get insurance, they just can't manage. And basically, those families, when they're living in an apartment like that, it happens that the kids run into issues. And then again, they have a burden of therapy and different kinds of stuff. Wow. So you're saying literally just lack of space makes makes family life harder. One of the biggest problems are there are families there with six, seven, eight kids in two-bedroom apartments. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, and there's a, a family who had, I'm going to use a different number so no one should know who they are. They had 10 kids, and they were living in a two-bedroom apartment. It, they were sleeping in the hallways of the apartment. I saw it with my own eyes. I went to visit them. Wow. That can't be healthy. That can't, that can't be a good environment to raise a family. If they have teenage daughters and they're going, they're, coming to, they're going to high school, they want to bring their friends home, they don't have nowhere to go. And, and it becomes a problem. And kids get very confused and very upset. Do you ever get involved in sort of trying to solve these problems on the from? Well, you mentioned housing as an issue. I mean, I don't know how much you could, how much I don't know how much any single individual can do to solve the housing problem in our community. But do you feel there's enough of a push in our community to sort of solve these problems at a, on a higher level instead of just treating the symptoms instead of trying to solve the causes? I don't think anybody is ready in the community to deal with the problem with the apartments in right now to make normal comfortable living quarters for the families that live here with large families that live here. Zooming out a little bit on the larger tzedakah landscape, today, you know, fundraising has never been easier. You hop online, you make a page, you send a link around, and you tell your story on the website, and you hope that the donations come in. You, from, you know, from what you've described the way CSSY operates is that there's a lot of in, a lot of personal knowledge of situations and you know people, you know references, and you know when you get a link in, when you get a link on WhatsApp for somebody's campaign, you don't really have a way of verifying the story. You have no way of knowing what they need, 
who's vouching for them, any of that. What's your general take on the on the charity campaigns and the Razorthon campaigns and the giving project campaigns? Well, the regular moisters that everybody knows about, the yeshivas, the moisters that everybody knows about is one thing. When it comes to people putting on different kinds of stuff, like someone sick, collecting money, you really got to see who's behind it and you got to pick up a phone to make a phone call. You're saying before you make a donation? Yeah, if you really want to know if your money is going to the right place. The record becomes, everybody knows the organization, everybody knows what they do. When someone else makes a campaign, you really got to see who's behind it and really got to check it out. Do you know of any kind of efforts behind the scenes to sort of get these get these stories verified before they before they go live or I don't believe anybody checks it out before they put them on live because don't forget it's an ad right to them it's an ad there are some times that I would call up people different websites and actually tell them that I know what's going on something doesn't make sense there are some communities that have a sort of a verification system where in order to collect money in a shoal, you have to have a letter by the basin. You know, that's just one example. I mean, the same thing, the same model could be applied online, same deal. Like, you know, a rev has to give an escamo before It's it a goes. very good idea. Do you think it could happen at Carnites? Someone has to bring it up to Rabbanim and see if they're ready to do it. You know, they might not have the time to go through everybody because every day there's a different situation. So let's backtrack a little bit and start from the beginning of the story. You started telling a little bit of the uh, the beginnings of CSSY. You had a conversation with your father, inspired by something there beset in a sicha, and you decided right then and there to go five, five, six packages that first week. Right. So how did you get involved in this work? My father was a very big activist in the community. We also was connected to a gamach in the community called Ken Yisrael Ayaleib. And we knew people that took loans and the checks bounced and they couldn't pay. So we that's how we started it. That's why we got involved with it. We knew whose checks bounced, so we figured out they didn't have money. So they were the first five, six people who we helped. Wow. And this has just been ever since a lifelong thing for you? Since Rosh Hashanah Tav Shalom Ches. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. How big is the organization now? Who else is involved? Like, who else runs it? Who else is the fundraising? You, you mentioned an accountant. So I know there's at least one other person involved. We have, a, we have an accountant. And my children basically helped me. Wow. We had a secretary bookkeeper for a while. Now my son actually does that with me. And my children all helped me. I have a son-in-law who's involved in graphics and all that kind of stuff. And he does all that stuff for me, one of my son-in-laws. And my daughter has a husband who was a very good writer, Shleach. And this gets done in the middle of the night, all hours of the night. <laughs> I wake up in the morning and check my phone. And I got this WhatsApp, this email. This is what's going out. Wow. It's a family, it's a family affair. It's run out of my father's house till today. There's no, basically, there's no overhead. That's incredible. What's fundraising like? Do you do any annual campaigns or is it just you have donors you come to, you know, personally? Well, we, first of all, we send, we're still old, a little old-fashioned. We still send mailings, Tishrei and Nissen, for Rosh Hashanah and for Pesach. Today, there's WhatsApp, there's emails, and there's a website. And we put ads on to all the 
to see uh, uh, the website. crownlights.info and to uh to crown and col and we advertise and people know there's a word of mouth and if we have a problem i always wanted to you know maybe i could advertise the people but i can't even advertise my people a lot of my people i can't even they should know the story people wouldn't believe the stories what i go through are there any stories you want to share any stories you're able to share if you're obviously anonymized meaning just to give people a sense of of the kind of need that's out there in our communities we once had somebody who we helped and she got a Yerusha and she like tallied up all the help we gave her and she gave us back the money after she got the Yerusha. Wow. We didn't want to take it, but we didn't have too much of a choice. <laughs> and someone who we know very well and they gave us every, practically a lot back. That's incredible. Yeah, it's very it's very touchy. And then, you know, I went into people's houses and I couldn't even believe how they live. You didn't see floors in the house. It was such a mess and a wreck. It looked like a bomb went through it. In one house, someone subleased their apartment about 27 years ago. He has already a lease with the landlord that he lives there over 20, but he's still so scared they asked the landlord because he subleased that he doesn't even have kitchen cabinets on milk boxes. His sink is on a milk box. So I had to wow. contact the landlord. It's one it's actually not a Lubavitcher landlord and speak to him. He said the guy never lets me in the house to come into the house. And I had to go there. I came with people to clean the house. It's very it's very hard to see. Wow. I do, people don't know their neighbors. Wow. How do I know? Because I had a neighbor who lived a few doors down from me. OL had a certain project where your neighbors could come to your neighbors have to come to the meeting, a relative has to come to the meeting, your friend has to come to the meeting, and your therapist has to come to the meeting, and your clinician, I think it's called, that's for you and your wife. So that was ten people by the meeting and the school. And they, everybody went through everything. And I said, I'm going to straighten out the house. It's a few doors away from mine. I walked into the house. I couldn't walk in the front door. That's how the house was messed up. They weren't, the guy's handy, so he knocked down walls. His bathroom was with a shower curtain around it. Those are the things that I lived through. Wow. So these, you mentioned an interesting point because... You know, today, unfortunately, we don't really know our neighbors. I, I'm sure if, if that was your situation, how much more so for a lot of people today, you come and go, you don't really establish deep roots in a place, You people are here for a couple of years and they leave. Apartment buildings are not very like hospitable places. People don't know each other. People don't know what's going on in their community. How do you know if somebody needs help? You know, if somebody next to you needs help, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, what are some of the things you think people can look out for? And to obviously not in a prying or invasive way for them to gently find out if there's something they can do to be helping. On a good note, and this will answer your question too, I do have people call me up and they say they could see that the kids are, uh, they get something to eat. They come into their house and they grab nash and they grab food and and they're hungry. They're hungry. You say like a, a, uh, their child's friend comes over comes to their house and, and they say hungry, or they get or they see that the kid doesn't have a coat, or the coat is ripped. You know, f- let's find out what's going on there. I get I do get calls about it, but people do have to keep their eyes open. 
not only for food, even in this neighborhood, there's a lot of boys and girls living in basements. You have to know, are, do they have with each other? Are they okay? Are they doing well? Are they sick? There's older people. Are they, how are they doing? What, what's going on? And you have to know. And you have to find out who's someone's friend. Just the other day, I was in Chul. I don't know why the man came over to me. He said, you saw so-and-so walking down Kingston Avenue. You saw his face. This guy happens to be knowledgeable in medicine. He says, that got to come off, what he has in his face. I, didn't, I went right after Shabbos, called the guy's daughter. I said, do you know what your father has on his face? She says, no, I didn't notice. I said, someone came over to me to Shul. Tell me what he thinks your father has on his face. I'm calling you up to take care of it. The reason I remember the story was last week. <laughs> wow. So you're saying just look out, notice. Notice, and you could see in a grocery store. What were you saying? What, what people are putting in their in their shopping cart? And you could see someone's by the counter, and and the bill is sixty dollars, and they're putting back the milk and the bread or something else because they can't afford to pay for it. Do you have any ideas or any thoughts on how we could become more aware? of the people in our community. I mean, you mentioned we have singles living in basements. There are tons of young people who don't have necessarily a lot of family here, or a lot of friends here, tons of, there's Bali Chivas who don't have family here. There's older people, like you mentioned. Is there anything we can do to know them and know what they need and how we can help them? Just say hello to people in the street. I say hello to every single person in the street, even not Jewish people. I walk in the street, say good morning, good afternoon. You get to know people. Why? See, I'm a little different. Not everybody has my personality. When I see a kid in the street, I ask him, going to yeshiva? Do you like yeshiva? He says, yeah, I, I didn't. You know, I tease a person. When you deal with people, it's a lot different. I saw a woman. I was driving home from Shul, walking down Brooklyn Avenue. I'm not saying names, so I know she won't kill me. And I, and I was driving on the side. I knew her from school then. She was married with kids, and I said, you know, I'm following you a block from Crown to Montgomery. I was turning into Montgomery, and driving slow on the side, I said, this was before before telephone. She wasn't on a phone. She was just walking, exercising maybe, and I said, you walk in the street. You're so serious. You didn't even notice that there was a car on the side of you. I said, <laughs> you need to go for help, serious help. You don't smile. Look at you. And a year later, she came to me and said, I don't know how to thank you. So I go, what do you mean? She says, I went for help. Me, I went for help. My husband went for help. And my whole family is a whole different family. You have to make yourself aware. And when my friends stay, they don't like to walk with me in the street because I stop and talk to this one. And I know every, and I know a lot of people. And, and I, But listen, by me, it's in the blood. Right. Not everybody could do it. But just saying, do a little more than you're doing right now. Yeah, you see what's have... going on. Is there someone in... It, you live in an apartment building. Is there an old lady who maybe doesn't know what to eat? Does she check it out? Or even a young couple. See, are they? Do you hear screaming? If you hear screaming, make a phone call to a rough. Find a way. Davin's called a rough. Is what's happening there? People in apartment building hear screaming. I have a recording of someone in an apartment building. A family. I thought there were shots. You mentioned therapy a few times, and I wonder what your general take on it is because. It's becoming extremely popular. I mean, it was always around, but it used to be for used to be reserved for extreme cases. You know, marriages that were already falling apart, people who had substance abuse issues, or people who had like you know serious diagnosed disorders. But today, it seems that 
more and more people are going to it sort of as a way to prevent things from getting worse or just in general to support their life and make life easier, help them achieve goals and help them resolve relationships. You've been involved in a lot of these cases. There's a little bit of a backlash, you know, therapy this, therapy that, everyone's going to therapy. What's your general view of it? I'm, I'm sure you've seen cases where it's helped and cases where it hasn't helped, but like what's your general view of, of, of how useful it is and how valuable it is in cases where, you know, people are in need? It all depends who the therapist is and what you're going for. And also when I speak about therapy, I could also mean people going to a rehab what costs forty, fifty thousand dollars a month in Utah, California, Arizona. There's two different kinds of separate things there. And one of the big outlets is today, well, I'll go away for a month and I'll be all cured. It doesn't work. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And you need to have a therapist, a, a psychiatrist, whoever you go to who cares and it's the top of it. Or else the therapist gets better. What I mean by getting better, <laughs> by getting paid. Because you can, there's no end to the therapy. There comes a certain amount of time. If you see that it's not working, get yourself another therapist. People go to therapists for years. To the same therapist. So why ain't we getting anywhere? So if a certain while, if you really need therapy, get yourself a therapist who cares. And there's an end game to the therapy. At least with that therapist. I there with a therapist for many years. She told me now that she tells everybody X amount of months, I'll work with you. If I can't, I'm out. It's, you'll have to find a different therapist. And the good therapists are hard to get. Are there anywhere near enough good therapists out there? Every day I learn about new therapists, and there's some of them which are unbelievable great. And there's some who might say they're therapists. They're not really therapists. They're coaches, different kinds of situations. I'm talking about a real therapist, therapist. Some of them are young and some of them are very, very good. It's good to hear. What are some of the financial stressors in our community that you think maybe you're a little out of hand on a cultural level? You know, people complain about weddings, people complain about seminary, people complain about yeshiva, people complain about luxury cars, people complain about bungalow colony, there's a lot of social pressure to do certain things when you're part of a community. Sometimes they can get out of hand and cause people to spend money they don't have and will never have. Is there anything that you think has caused issues that you've seen? Everything is a problem. <laughs> so a broad I, answer. When I was growing up, a l'chaim was a piece of chicken and uh, some rice and a kugel and soda on the table with a challah roll. The Rebbe spoke, why are we making big l'chaims? So it was started out very small. Today, l'chaim is seven to $10,000. That's a cheap one. And then my, your kid says, or my kid says, I don't want to be different than anybody else. I have a daughter who had a bas mitzvah in Beis Rifka's music room on Lefferts Avenue because that was the policy, and I wouldn't go against the policy. And everybody said, oh, the, every school has a policy. And the the, pl the party planner was planning one the museum for a girl the next night. So there was no small... So uh, I'll tell you, till today, my daughter doesn't forgive me for having that bas mitzvah. <laughs> and I wanted in Crown Street in the dining room. And I worked there, and it was my kitchen. So, and, and the school had the policy that to do there. My daughter doesn't forgive me till today. So it is a lot of pressure. 
And then everybody, how can I have not a nice wedding? Okay, there's some people that don't need the nice wedding. But there are people that want a nice nice wedding because all their friends have a nice wedding and the kids expect to have a nice wedding. And then when you make the first wedding, you really go out of the way. And then you realize, oh, what I do? And you have to do for every kid the same thing. Unless the kid says, you know, I'm sorry, I don't need such a big wedding. And tuition is a very interesting thing. I really, really... People don't really know the expenses what a yeshiva has. And they're much bigger than people think. I don't want to get into it now with the tuition of yeshivas because right now I don't think that's a comfortable place for me to be in to deal with tuition. But the people have to understand they have to do their share. But they can't. How much, If a Rebbe and a, and a yeshiva makes fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000, which they don't, how could and they have seven kids? How could they pay four thousand dollars a kid to go to yeshiva, and then four thousand dollars a month uh, for the summer? Four thousand dollars for the summer. Make the add up the numbers. Making that's what the rebbe here and all the yeshivas are making, sixty-five to seventy thousand dollars if you're lucky. So and they have six, seven kids. What do you want them to do? So it's a catch twenty-two. Exactly what has to happen here. The yeshivas have big bills, and the and the people who go to yeshivas can't afford it. And the people who could afford it say, why do I have to pay? Because that guy can't afford it. That's the problem. So how does it how does it all this work? How does it add up? Like people have things they can't afford, they spend the money they don't have. How does the math add up in the end? Credit cards. I have now quite a few people actually, that their friends got together, gave me, I'll use the number actually, which it was, $75,000 of a friend who had credit card bills. And that's a, today it's, I think, 23 to 24% interest. They told them to pay all the bills, to pay the bills. And he has to pay me back $1,000 a month interest-free. His friends collected the money, gave me the money. I gave the money to the guy, and I have quite a few like that. Wow. Because a lot of people have credit card debt. They have a lot of, you, if you have credit card debt, you can't go further today. Yeah. And people live on credit cards here. And it's also not healthy because eventually it hits too. Wow. That happens to be a big thing now. I think I have six, seven people that the friends got together because the families were suffering. And. They gave me the money for the credit cards. They actually came to me. I didn't even come to them. They came to me, gave me the money, told me, give it to this man. This guy's going to write you out head checks for $1,000 a month. And he does, and he pays every month. So he gained no interest in however long it takes, but he got back on his feet. Wow. And behind that back, I told him, listen, if you ever have a problem in a month, for the month, tell me, and we'll pause it a little <laughs> later. But that they don't know about. Because I don't want to hurt a guy on Pesach. You know, if we're helping him, let me help him. Right. That's amazing. So there are people who see and people care, you know. Crown Heights is a very interesting place. Everybody says in Crown Heights, and Williamsburg, it's great. And they give gemachs, and they help, and they do, and they give. I deal with people in Williamsburg, top people in Williamsburg, who are the top and they tell me, 
Crown Heights is such a great place. They help so many people <laughs> and they do so many things and they're so great. It always looks good on the other side. Yes, they have their pluses. Yes, we have our pluses. Yes, we have issues. They have issues. But between me and you, we do plenty. The people in Crown Heights do a lot to help people. When do you know if a person, if a family or an individual, if just giving them money or support isn't helping? How do you how do you decide that something has to be escalated? Something more serious, like a more serious intervention into their lives to sort of help them get on track, whether it's therapy or bringing them to a rev and like making them change something about the way they're living, whatever it is. How do you make that decision? Two things. The one is you help somebody for a while and you see you're not getting anywhere. Which I have a family that way and I and actually I told them that if the shoes forget lose my number. I don't well, lose my number. But that's a very extreme case with a lot of different issues. Because I told him, I'm dealing with you seven years. On a weekly basis, I meet with him, and he has issues, and obviously it ain't going anywhere. But I told him that already five times, so it you know, doesn't mean too much. Now, you have to understand, money is also, by some people, when the house looks like a wreck or, like I said before, a bomb hit it, is only a money issue. Some people, the wives don't know how to cope, or the husband doesn't know how to cope, or the husband doesn't help the wife, or the wife and husband work, and they just can't keep the house together. Not every mess, what everybody sees, means it's money. That's one. But when you work with a family for a while, you see, listen, you, there's no way that we could help you for ever. And between me and you, we do have a policy which Rabbi Dvark and Oliver Shalom started with us, he didn't want we should give out coupons, uh, uh, food packages then every week. He didn't want that people should rely on us. Like I have people, okay, they're older people, you know, they meet me two weeks before Purim. Remember me on Pesach, because they know Pesach, you're supposed to get a food package. Okay, remember you on Pesach. I said, fill on up. I said, but that's not the people we're talking about. The family in crisis, after a while you help them, you see you're not getting anywhere, so you have to step in. You have to get therapists. Sometimes you have to call family. Sometimes you have to call parents. Like you said before, this is a neighborhood where their people don't have relatives here. So you have to call friends. You have to call a rav. And, and you have to really step in. You have to get a cleaning lady. There was a family here. I'm just, I'll, you know, as we're talking, it's coming to my head. Nebuch, the husband and father, passed away, but the mother was sick. Many, this is at least 20 years ago, the mother was sick, and the husband was a very not into medicine, and she was, she was dying. I mean, it was an unbelievable to see. And someone called me up that this lady has, is, the house is falling apart, they don't have anything. And I had to come in and make up a story that I got a call from someone in the city that's going to come in here, and they're going to take away the kids, if they don't find out, the house has to be painted. They got to be food. You need well, you can't cook, so we'll get a chef. And it was we took care of it. I, I can't get into details For because sure. I'm helping people now, and I don't want them to catch on. <laughs> of course. Have you ever dealt with straight up scammers, people who, unfortunately, took advantage of CSSY's generosity? A few times, not too often, because I'm a, I'm on it. You know, I know the people. You know the patterns. You know I know the like. patterns. I know the stuff. Uh, listen, there's a fellow here who scammed a lot of people. 
And everybody knew it, and I knew right away something didn't make sense. So Rabbi Stock, we're coming to the end here. Thank you for your time. As we wrap up, is there is there something that you just want to leave our listeners with? Something that they can do today, tomorrow, and in the future to sort of make things better for for the community they're a part of, for their friends, their family, their neighbors? The first thing is I want to make correction. I'm not a rabbi. <laughs> and everybody knows that. No one calls me Rabbi Stock. Everybody calls me Benji. And interesting, I write my name Benzian, but everybody calls me Benji. I don't even have to spell Benji, <laughs> either with an I, an E, or an Y. But on that note, it's exactly the way it is. We always advertise and we always tell everybody, keep your eyes open for your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, people who you sit next to in shul. Listen to what they're saying. See if they're going home. See how they are. See how they look. And let us know. Let somebody know. And we'll be there to help them anytime, 24-7. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Benji. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you again to Benji Stock for coming on the show. A pleasure of an interview to have. It's rare that you talk to somebody who's so dedicated to their mission and so simple about their approach to it that, well, even the most cynical person can't help but walk away from it, from that conversation, feeling things a little bit differently. So again, just thank you, Rabbi Stock, for coming on. And I hope that this conversation inspired you to give a little bit more and look out a little bit more for your neighbors, for our community. If you enjoy this conversation, and if you enjoy the Crimes Insider podcast, I hope you subscribe to the show. And if you haven't, I hope you will take this opportunity to do so. If there's a podcast platform that you enjoy that we're not available on, please send us an email at podcast at crownheights.info, and we will try to rectify that. In addition, any other questions, comments, or concerns can be sent to podcast at crownheights.info, where we will attempt to answer those questions and attempt to get your questions answered by the guests at the wrap-up episode of the show. Thank you again for joining us and looking forward to seeing you again next Wednesday. Hope you have an easy fast. Behold, he done, he done, he done.